good to have John and Jill and family here this morning. God bless you. And uh, one of our parishioners who I haven't seen in a little while, but it's good to see him here this morning. Amen. It's just good to be in the Lord's house. Let's dismiss our little ones that go out to their class this morning. And um, we can get we can get them out of here. Boy, it's going to quiet down, right? Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. We want to turn our eyes uh, towards the Scripture and, and preaching this morning and hope that um, you'll receive even, even some strength out of the Word of the Lord today. And so we're pulling extra duty this week. So Friday morning I preach, but see if we got something left over here for today. I believe God's got a new word, a fresh word, a good thing for us. Amen. So we've been working on the book of John and talking about the book of John a little bit. John being kind of a unique book. It's a, a gospel for sure, but tells a little bit different story than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um. It has been studied so much by so many different people that have tried to separate, and I said this last week, separate John into, into different categories, and the first one being the first 18 verses, which I love, and then um, the next 12 chapters has been called the Book of Signs, the Book of Signs. And then after that, from the 12th to the 20th, has been a book called the Book of Glory, and then the 21st chapter, the completion. And, and so that's interesting to me that, that the book would be all broken down, and I talked a little bit about this last week. But when you look at um, the book of John as a whole, it's, it's so exciting. To me, it seems that, that God is so alive in this the, the revelation of, of who he is is so alive. And even to now, 2,000 years ago, roughly, John wrote this book. This book is more relevant than anything that you can ever pick up in your hands. More relevant to your life. Because it does declare the Lord and and the revelation of who he is. And so we've been talking about that. And so we're looking at this, and I'm going to follow their, their little pattern of breakdown. In the book of signs, there's seven major signs that they say that the Lord did in this 12 chapters. And so we covered the first two, and I want to look at what they call the third one. But there were other signs, what they call these the major signs, of the, of the book of signs in the book of John. So go to the fifth chapter with me, and we want to read just the first two verses, and we'll get started here uh, this morning. John 5, 1, And after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem is a pool at the Sheep Gate, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches, and in these porches was a great multitude of infirm ones lying, blind ones, lame ones, withered ones, awaiting the stirring of the water. Lord, we ask you that your word will come alive to us this morning. God, that it, it will feel as though it is just freshly written because it is so applicable to our lives. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself and your goodness this morning and touch us again. May we get just a clearer vision, a knowledge of you, revelation of you and who you are, Lord. And I pray that over us, the congregation, and the preacher this morning. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So I want to define a sign again as according to the Scripture. You know, one of the things that being up here in Reading and being kind of in a hub 
of charismatic movement. There has been a lot said about signs and wonders. And again, I wonder about some things they're calling signs. But there's been just this push for signs and wonders. In fact, recently I heard a man say, we've heard enough really good preaching. He said, now God is going to sort of leave off the good preaching and go to signs and wonders. I really have to question that because my faith is not in signs and wonders. My faith rests within the pages of what this book has declared and the revelation of who is there, God written and revealed in the pages of the Gospels. And so signs and wonders come and go. There are things that happen. There are things that God does. I've seen people healed miraculously that ended up not serving Him, not following Him. So did that healing make any difference in their spiritual life? I would have to say not. I've seen people get in circumstances and God has delivered them. We've prayed and, and the Lord's helped them get out of that and get things fixed in their life and then them not go on to serve him. And so did that sign or that wonder or that healing or that miracle in their life, did it change the value spiritually in them? And I would say a lot of times, no. So the sign itself, and, and Jesus made reference to this. He said, many won't believe unless they see a sign or a wonder or a miracle. But even if you see a sign or a wonder, it doesn't, doesn't mean that you're going to believe and follow after him. And so I'm kind of taking a different angle about the signs and the definition of the signs that are in the, in the word of God. And so let me kind of read this to you again and just kind of going over it again. But the definition of a sign here, I believe that, that would be found in the book of John is a personal impression made on the surroundings. And I like to compare this to the sign that you would find out hunting. And what you're looking for that animal left an imprint or a sign that is just, you know exactly what animal it was because of the imprint that they left. And so the sign here in the book of John is this personal impression made on the surroundings. It's something left there that can easily, easily be tracked for the identification of the purveyor. In other words, whatever left it, whoever left it, it is easy to track that and connect that to the one who left it. And this is the essence of the signs of Jesus. I believe these signs are not, a, not about just signs themselves. I don't believe they're about just healings themselves. But I believe that this the effect of the sign of what God is doing in leaving a sign is showing who he is. And to believe merely that Jesus just went about just with compassion and healed people uh, just casually and without purpose, um, I, I don't think that that's sustainable in the text because, because there are a lot of people who did not get healed. I don't understand all about healing. And I certainly don't have one magical prayer that if I pray this certain prayer, you're going to get healed every time. Because I've been in front praying for people and and not see them healed and see the next one, God touch them. I've been out in the parking lot and somebody said, I need your, I need prayer. I didn't get prayer this morning. Will you pray for me? And just grab them by the hand. And right there, the Lord touched them. There's not just one designed thing. And, and, and so it's, it's not just that, that God heals everybody out of compassion because they are suffering. The world is full of suffering. And to think that the Lord just comes and, and heals everybody's need, that he intervenes in every problem, that he, in fact, has a responsibility of some sort to deal with every human problem just isn't scriptural. Because we're going to find this morning that that didn't happen in this very event of Jesus going to this pool of Bethesda. But he did have compassion. He did heal, Acts 10.38. He went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed of the devil, but I think that it really means that everyone he healed had been oppressed of the devil, of sickness, of infirmity, of 
problems and issues in their life, mentally, spiritually, physically. And he went about doing those things and healing people. But he did not heal everybody that was in Jerusalem. He did not heal everybody that was in Samaria, everybody that was in the country of Israel. He did not do that. He could have done that. I mean, could the Lord, and, and there's some big-time evangelists that believe they have a healing touch and they're able to go just into hospitals of room after room. I can think of one that comes to my mind that years ago there was a lot said about him being this healing man of God and went to hospitals and went from room to room to room praying for people and healing them. The problem was they didn't get healed because he does not have the power to do that. The Lord has the power to do that, but he doesn't choose to do it that way. His cause, his purpose was and is primary. And I'm always, you know, I say, I say bursting bubbles. But he's first. His kingdom is first. His purposes are first. Let me give you the definition of humanism. Humanism is an outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human matters rather than divine or supernatural matters. See, the problem with what a lot of has happened in the church, especially in big-time ministry, is that we felt like that God is here for our disposal, that, that really God is here just to, to do all of those, and I can claim them, and I can get the Bible, and I can pin God down, and I can make him responsible. But the thing that... that that, that happens is that you do that and nothing happens. No, There is no healing. There is no change. And then you're wondering why. Well, I didn't get the right scripture and I didn't say the right prayer. But I want you to know something about God. He's going to do what he wants to do. It's his work. He is primary. And everything he does is for a purpose. It will be, it will be done for a purpose, not for your purpose. It will be done for his purpose and for his glory. And so whether we like it or not, humanism has come into the church. In fact, they've, they've made a lot of quotes and things about coming to church and getting what's, what belongs to you, getting your stuff. You don't have no stuff here. There isn't anything here that, that is owed to you. But only God by his mercy and his goodness. Now we prayed this morning and I don't know who God might touch. It's not me. It's ours to pray. It's ours to ask. It's ours to knock. It's ours to seek. It's not ours to heal. It's not ours to deliver. It is God's. He is sovereign this morning. He has always been sovereign. And one of the things about him is he looks at kingdom first. Humanism will teach us that God is so concerned about humanity that he looks at the needs of humanity first, but he doesn't. If we go back into the Scripture in Colossians, we'll find out that it says that all things were made for him and for his pleasure. We are created. He's not created for our pleasure. We have been created for the pleasure of the Almighty God. So he stays in this place of sovereignty all the time. He's not accountable to us. God is not accountable to us. The Lord is not accountable to the servants. The Lord does what the Lord wants to do. And so we take the, the binders off of that this morning, and really we take it off of us. Like it or not, we are secondary on God's list of importance. Wow. Man, I didn't come to church to hear that this morning. I come to church to hear that God owes me that, that really... Everything I say, God's just sitting on, on with bated breath, waiting for me to, to ask him, waiting for me to show him my needs so he can take care of me. Well, that's really more humanism than it is Christianity. But we're secondary on God's list of importance. And then when you go to the individual, I think it's even less than that. Listen, if you won't listen, if you won't answer, if you won't do what God wants you to do, he'll just look for somebody else. Man, that doesn't make me feel very good. You know, I thought God was waiting up all night, all night waiting on me. And, and uh, just, just, you know, he's so concerned with me. And that's kind of the humanistic view that we've had. But the Lord always does things that are kingdom first. 
There's a lot of people that don't want to be in the kingdom. There's a lot of people that will walk away from the Lord. There's a lot of people that just aren't concerned at all. And he's not going to pander those. I mean, you just go if you want to go. You get out. You don't, you know, you don't be responsible. You don't, you don't serve the Lord. That's your business. But God isn't going to wait on you because his kingdom is going to come. Lord, thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done, Lord, in earth as it is in heaven. Sure, he uses people. Sure, he loves people. Sure, his call is to people, but his call is for a response to us. His kingdom's going to go on whether we say yes or no, or whether we're indifferent, or whether we are plugged in, whether we're part of the kingdom. It doesn't matter. God's kingdom is greater than me. God's kingdom is superior than what I think. It goes beyond where I'm at. And so his kingdom has continued for 2,000 years to prosper, and his church has prospered. And no matter what I do, I can walk out of here this morning and give up. And his church is going to continue to go on because he has ordained it to go further than the individual. How's that make you feel this morning? Wow, okay. Then really, the Lord does care about me, but I need to plug in to what he's doing. Do you ever pray that prayer? And sometimes I do, I pray Lord, I want to love the things that you love. And I want to despise the things that you hate. Jesus loves this church. Can you say amen? Okay, the church is made up of people. But the church is going to go on if any individual defects. The church will go on because it has been ordained. It's important to him. We see examples in New Testament and Old Testament alike. People that, that maybe they were part, maybe they were plugged in and decided not to, but it didn't stop the kingdom of the Lord from going further. And so I said all that to say this, that this sign, what we'll call the third sign that the Lord gives in this John 5, if we don't look at it carefully, we will determine that, that God... Um, favors some and does not hand out his goodness equally. I thought God had to be the same to everybody. Well, we're going we're gonna to hit a stump this morning. I thought if God did something for one, he has to do it for the other. Now, my wife, I think she got it from her mother is that if you do one thing for one of our kids or grandkids, okay, so you do one thing, it's times nine. And with our kids, it's times six. So I told her the other day, she said, well, I'll just give that. I said, well, you know you're going to have to give the rest of them. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I got And I've only got one or two of them. I can't do that. I said, well, then you just have to withhold it because you can't make a difference, right? That's, That's who we are. I want my children to feel like They're all important to me. And we take that to God and we put it on him. Well, Lord, now you can't favor somebody else above me. And I don't know where we got that idea, but it's just simply flat, not the truth. He doesn't hand things out equally. Is that okay? Everybody okay this morning? And again, you know, some of those... Balloons burst the other day. Pow. Ouch. Just because you don't get what the next person gets doesn't mean that he doesn't care about you. Just because someone else gets called into ministries, because someone else... God favors them in a way in the church and and they do a certain thing and God gives them a certain gift. I want you to know that the Spirit of God, if you read the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, that the Spirit of God is choosing. He's choosing severally who He wills. And, And I know being a pastor a long time, you have every time somebody, you know, you feel like, and I pray about those things and, and God just leads us and we have such a such a great group of workers and helpers here but anybody that steps up somebody else is like wow you know that isn't fair god's not fair 
That's, I'm preaching something this morning that, that you just can't hardly grasp. What do you mean God's not fair? Well, in, in a human perspective, because of the way we feel about our children, we think that God feels that way about his children. God's going to do in you what he wants to do in you. And that may be blessing, or that may be hard time. Or that may be some great deliverance in your life and overcoming something. Or, or he might, along with Paul, say, my grace is sufficient for you. So just shut up and bear it. And Paul's like, wow. Paul's laying hands on people. In fact, he's even raising some of them from the dead. And, and here he's got a problem himself. And God tells him, I'm not fixing it. My grace is going to work for you. Because we see God as doing everything equal that, that he has to do for one, what he does for the other. And really, that isn't the way God does it because he sees kingdom first. Come on, say amen. He sees his glory first. He sees, he sees what we really need in our life. I think I know what I need, but thank God that he doesn't answer some prayers. Have you ever heard that song? Thank God for unanswered prayers. I mean, you got to go back. It's a country song of about 20 years ago. He was obviously, he was praying for this, this girl that he thought he liked, and, and later he found out, thank God. <laughs> he didn't answer that prayer. Hallelujah. But the Lord does, you know, that's kind of humor, but the Lord does know what we have need of. And only a good God would supply what I have need of. So sometimes I may get haughty in myself. I may, I may get to the place where God says, okay, now it's time for a trial in your life. I may get so self-sufficient, and I'm, you know, we're kind of that way around here. A lot of these men around here, you know, we just believe, uh, we just believe that, that you get up in the morning and you make something out of yourself. We believe that. We teach that. But when you get to the place where you're self-sufficient, then God says, well, I'm, I'm going to let you ache a little bit now. I'm going to let you feel some pain a little bit now to realize that you're not sufficient in yourself. God is good to us in that way. Isn't that a wonderful Lord that he would let me hurt to show me that my sufficiency is not in me. My sufficiency is in the Lord. Can you say amen? What a beautiful Lord. And so to question his authority really, really is stupidity on our part. Now, I want to go to this fifth chapter here. And there were many infirmed people laying under five porches by the pool of Bethesda. And they've tried to discover, and, and um, you know, archaeology has dug up a lot of that stuff. And they had some places, I looked online, where it looked like that possibly there was a pool and there was some uh, colonnades around there that would hold up porches and but really, regardless, it doesn't really matter. It was by the sheep gate. And the, the word Bethesda, every time you get into uh, the Old Testament and, and the Hebrew word Beth is always a house. It means the house of, the house of kindness. They're laying around the pool of the house of kindness. This is such an interesting thing. Verse 4. And an angel came down at certain times and agitated that pool. Now, again, I don't have the right to question what God's doing here. This thing has been going on a while. People know about it. They're laying their sick there under five porches, not one porch, a lot of porches, a lot of people. So I'm going to envision probably hundreds of people laying down their sick. And they've got everything from some of them are blind. We read that. Some of them are, are crippled. They've just got all kinds of different things. And they're all just laying there under these porches. And then at a certain time, and somebody said, well, this is just Jewish folklore is what this is. This really didn't happen. Well, somebody needed to tell those people because they're laying out there exposed to the weather. And they think that at a certain time the water is going to be agitated, and they've seen it happen. The man that we're talking about this morning that Jesus healed, 
was there, I don't know if he was there 38 years, but he was sick 38 years, and he may have laid there much of that time, and he really did think that it happens. Let me tell you something. If I'm laying under a porch, and it's freezing cold, and it's hot in the afternoon, and it's foul weather, and the wind's blowing, and I see somebody get in a pool and get back out not healed, I'm going home. So there has to be, just, just the fact that they're there proves that something's going on there. If they're willing to lay there that long in the exposure of weather, there's got to be something happening. So Jesus gets to this man, and he's going to exhibit that he doesn't treat everybody the same. They're all laying out there in these porches. Way more than what's here this morning. I mean, just sick. And, and, and if you've ever been around the sick a lot, if you go in a rest home, you'll hear some moaning and groaning, and, and it's not a pretty sight. A hundred sick people laying out there, it's not fun. I mean, it looks like it's death. You know, it just doesn't feel good, feel right. They're all moaning. Every one of them wants to be healed. Every one of them wants to get away. Why do you think they're there? They're waiting for the pool to be stirred. And, and somebody said, well, verse 4 really wasn't there. An angel didn't come down because that was inserted into the text. It doesn't matter. They were still waiting for the agitation of the water. Somehow God was showing mercy. God was giving them a house of blessing and kindness there so that some people could get some deliverance in their life. And, and so... So here's this man who is crippled. He's laying on a little cot, a bed of some kind, and he's just there. He's going to be there every day until he can get healed. He's got nothing else. He doesn't have any social security programs. They don't have any hospitals that are going to help him. He's just laying there, and his hope is that there'll be an agitation of the water, and somehow he can get in there before somebody else does. And Jesus walks up to this man, this one single man, the only one he's going to touch and heal, and says to him, do you want to be made whole? Um, what a question, right? Lord, what do you think I'm doing here? If I didn't want to be made whole, I'd be at home. But yeah, yeah, he does. He wants to be made whole. Certainly he does. But he says, Lord, every time the pool is agitated, I don't have a man to throw me in the pool. And so by the time I can get over there, somebody else has already stepped down into it. And I thought, you know what? I was 18, 19, 20 at one time, and this is the dream job, throwing people in a swimming pool. And we did it a lot. Every chance we had. You know what I'm talking about. You know, get near the water, you had to watch it. You know, they're going to throw you in there. But this man didn't have anybody to throw him in the pool. And it literally uses the Greek word throw. You pick the guy up. Just get him in there any way you can. Lord, I don't have a man like that. And But Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. First of all, the guy's faced with an impossibility. He cannot take up his bed and walk. He's crippled. But at the command of Jesus, at the command of Jesus, he somehow gets to his feet and somehow he gets strength enough to stand up and then, then he takes his cot and begins to walk with that cot. And, and you wonder about this, man, what, maybe, I think he's doing more than just walking He's probably skipping. He's probably rejoicing. Remember the man that John and Peter went. He was sitting outside of the temple. He never could go in the temple because he was lame in his feet, and they wouldn't allow him in the temple. But when they said, look on us in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk, and that man stood up and walked, he decided that it was time to shout in the temple. And he went running and leaping and praising God in the temple. Now, I believe that this man who had been crippled for 38 years 
And I don't know about you, but, but if you had a problem for 38 years that really stopped you from working, it stopped you from, from being part of your family, I mean, and then all of a sudden you get healed, I'll tell you what, there's going to be, be more than just a little grin in the side of my mouth. I'm going to be jumping and rejoicing and making a scene. They would have never known if he wasn't making a scene. But the Jews saw him. The problem now is that Jesus did this on a Sabbath day. He could have done it on any day. He could have walked in there, but he intentionally did it on a Sabbath day. And, and if you look at this whole sign or miracle, it really isn't about that man. That man sets up the discourse that Jesus wanted to do with the Jews. They said, well, God used that man. Yes, he did. He used him. Just like the blind man that the disciples said, who has sinned, him or his parents? Who sinned in this place? No, it's not about sin. It's that the glory of God might be revealed. The man is blind and Jesus was going to heal him, but it wasn't about just a blind man. It wasn't about just compassion because if the Lord had just had compassion, he would have gone under those porches lifting everybody up out of there. They're all coming up and healing the blind, healing the lame, healing all those that were there. It wasn't just about compassion. It was about the glory of God being revealed. And if there is a sign and if there is a wonder and if there is a miracle in this day, it's not about the miracle itself. It's not about the one person. It's about the glory of God being revealed to the church one more time that we can take grip again, take our grip again of our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a Sabbath day. And he's carrying his cot. Somebody, oh, his brother Mike Cox came in the other night in my office and and we talked for just a minute, and, and we kind of got on, finally got on the subject, well, what do you do when the government says, you know, you can't preach the gospel anymore? I think we were talking about getting the vaccine and stuff, new government requiring that, and whatever, you know, I mean, some people, certain jobs, I guess it's just going to have to do it. I, I mean, I don't want it myself, but that's just me, and, and people that want to get the vaccine, that's up to them. But when the, when the government requires, begins to require... I think they would like to say you can't come to church and gather in a church unless you have the vaccine and so on and so forth. And I have a problem with that. You become an outlaw, right? Just like Jesus. It was against their law. It wasn't a godly law. It was against their law. I'm not encouraging you to be an outlaw. That's not what I'm up here doing. I'll leave out of here this morning. Everybody say, you know what I got out of that sermon? We need to be outlaws, man, you know, rebels. No, not necessarily. But there come certain things that I think the Lord looks at that like he looked at it himself. It said, a man carrying his cot is not against the will of God. And through this whole discourse, he will finally tell them, look, you take a Sabbath day and you send your little children, your little males down there, and they circumcise those males on the Sabbath. Is that work? Oh, yeah, but that's, you know, religious and whatever. And, and, and Moses gave me, no, 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 wait a minute. But I can't heal a man on a Sabbath day without you being upset about him having complete healing in his body and being made whole? You hypocrites, you, you blind leaders, you whitewashed sepulchers because you don't see the glory of God. You're not after the glory of God. You're after the glory of men. And most signs and wonders and miracles are about the glory of men. No wonder God isn't doing very many of them. Can he do them? Oh, yes. How many of you believe this morning that God can do anything? Oh, I believe he can do anything. But does he? So as we go on with the story then, the man, the man is caught by the Jews, and they tell him, listen, you can't walk around here with your cot. It's a Sabbath day. 
He said, but this, this guy told me to do it. They said, who told you to do it? Well, I don't know his name. But he told me to take up my cotton and walk. And they said, well, you still, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus goes and finds that man in the temple and, and then begins to talk to that man and reveal to that man who he is. And, uh, and he says to that man, he says, go and don't sin anymore lest a worse thing comes upon you. That part of signs and wonders doesn't seem to be being revealed to people. God heal you, but don't go do what you were doing. Because if you do, something worse might come upon you. And that was the word of the Lord. You know, I don't want to be like you know, all negative thing on that. But, but listen, a lot of times we'll receive something of God, and then we think God's condoning that we go out and do what we were doing. That's not the will of God. Oh, oh man, God bless my life. Here's, here's one that really always blows me away, you know, is that, that I got a financial blessing so I know I'm in the will of God. That is so foolish. The devil's the king of this world. He's got a lot of money. If he sees you in error and you think that money is what a sign from God to condone the way that you're living, no. Go and sin no more. Always when you come in contact with the Lord, always when you come in contact with a sign in your life, it's going to be changing your life from what you were to what God wants you to be. Can you say amen? And so when he talks to this man, he finds out his name is Jesus. Now the man goes and reports to the Jews. Oh, I, f I found out what his name was. It was Jesus that told me to do that. Oh, that's what we thought. We hate him. See, he's going out here breaking the law. And they can't see the beautiful sign that the Lord has given. All they see is the law. All they see is their religious stuff. And they don't see what God is about to reveal. <laughs> wow. And it says they lusted to kill him. They just, it began to overtake them. We got to get him. We got to get him. We got to kill him. But Jesus went to them now, and we find this conversation. And here really is what this sign is about. This sign of the healing of this man, and it was good for that man. He got healed, but the Lord used him to open up this discourse that you're going to see now for 38 verses. He's going to declare to them, and whether it was verses then, it wasn't, but whether it was sentences, whether it was thoughts for Possibly a half hour now, he's going to begin to tell them about who he is. And like that song that we sang this morning, let me tell you who Jesus is. This was the whole context of what the Lord did with this sign. Let me tell you who I am. Because it's always going to be about the revelation of the glory of God. If something good is done, it's not just for you. It's not just for you to brag about. It certainly isn't by the hand of man. But if something is done, let me tell you who Jesus is, because really the crux of this whole thing, the crux of the church, the crux of the Bible is the revelation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the anchoring of our faith into him. And so the Lord is going to begin this, this little discourse and let me say something, too. There's no way you can earn the goodness of God. I believe that we can walk in His favor. But I don't think you can earn His healing. I don't think you can earn a sign. But you're going to live like He's touched you after He touches you. It would change your life. And I think about healing. I've thought about this a lot. It goes back a long ways with me. And, and I thought there was a certain prayer, and I thought there was a certain thing that, that God would answer and God would do if you somehow were just good enough, that God would do certain things for you. And, but I found that to not happen in our life. I found out that God is going to do what he wants to do, and then he will bring us to the table for discussion about who he is. Can you serve him in the good times and everybody just shouting, yeah, amen. 
Can you serve him in the bad times? Can you serve him when you don't get the prayer answered that you need answered? Because we walk by faith. Everybody say faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So, the Lord begins to give revelation about himself. And if you look at these 38 verses, and you can go home and read them, I'm just going to touch on them real quick, and we're going to be dismissed. But if you go through these verses, the Lord again is revealing himself. John 14.1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is getting ready to go away in John 14. Don't be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. But when you take it in the Greek context, it reads, the same way you believe in God, believe in me. In other words, he is the revelation of the God that you believe in. And so when he begins to talk about himself, he's just revealing again just exactly who he is in Father and in Son. And you're going to see this for 38 verses. We said this last week, but he's the tangible Son on the outside. He is a human being. He is the Lord and Savior on the outside. But on the inside, he is the King of glory. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Mighty Counselor. He is the Everlasting Father. On the inside, what you can't see about him, only you can see on the outside his physical features. But what's on the inside is the glory of God. And everything that the Father is, is showing out through the person of the Son. He is enacting everything that God is, is being acted out in person, in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that needs an amen right there. And so, he's going to begin this little discourse. And it's going to reveal the essence of the Father. But they are just going to get more angry with him because they said not only does he break the Sabbath, But now he calls himself the son of God, making himself equal to God. Not with God, but to God. So they're seeing right through this. They see that the Lord really is talking about himself and about the father that is within him. So what what are the manifestations given to the son to do? And these are in these 38 verses, and let me just go through them real quick. The marvelous works of God are going to be done through the person of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not doing this of myself. It's not a flesh. I'm not just going out doing things. I'm not just taking a man up at the pool of Bethesda and healing one man. But because there's some glory that needs to go to God here, there's some, there's some glory for the work of God. This is what I do according to what I have seen of the Father. And then next he says that I am the giver of life. I am able to call them out of the grave. The next thing he says is that I have been given to be the judge so that there be some honor given. Have you ever been in the court? You call the judge what? Your honor. Because there's honor there. He's the judge, the mighty judge. Then next he is given the power to give eternal life. And I love that one this morning because we're not in this thing just for this life. Somebody say amen. I'm not here just to live. If this is all I had and I had to restrict myself from all the fun and pleasure of the world, then maybe I would think that it may not be worth it. But there is eternal life in Jesus Christ waiting for those, not only for me, not only for Paul, not only for the apostles, but for all of those who love the Lord. There is a crown of righteousness and life laid up for every one of you. Next, he is the conductor of the resurrection. Not about people coming out of the grave in his day and bringing them back to life, but about the resurrection at the end 
of this thing. There will be a resurrection. Let me tell you who's going to conduct that. Let me tell you, we're going to talk about who Jesus is this morning. He's going to be the one that decides all things. He's the judge of every life. And I'm glad I'm not. I don't put people in heaven and I don't put them in hell. It's not my job. We've got one who is a conductor of the, of the resurrection and he knows and he's going to determine all of those things. The power lays in him. And he has a true witness of the Father. John came. John the Baptist came witnessing of him. But he has a greater witness because his witness is of the heavenly. And his witness is of the invisible that's within him. And the Jews, he said, you've never seen God or you've never heard God's voice at any time but thank John again by the spirit for the 14th verse of the first chapter that says and the logos of God became flesh and dwelled among us and then the 18th verse says no man has seen God at any time but that son that was revealed he declares everything about God he is the exegesis of everything about what God is and so the witness that he's been given is greater than any other witness. Next, he carries the name of his father. I heard somebody preaching, talking recently. They said, Jesus came to reveal the name of the father. And the name of the father is Abba. I said, well, that's a coincidence. The Hebrew word Abba simply means father. So he came to reveal the name of the father. The name of the father is father. Well, that's really good. No. No, the name of the father is Yeshua. The name of the father is the one who was and is and is to come. The I am that I am, the self-existing one. And Jesus came in the stead of the Father with the name of Yeshua, which simply means God's salvation. Yeshua's salvation. And we put them together and we have got Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the name of God. There is no other name whereby you can be saved. There is no other name of healing. There is no other name of deliverance. There's only one name. The English rendering of that name. The, the Greek rendering of that name was Jesus. But the English rendering of that name is Jesus. But the original rendering of that name was Yeshua HaMashiach. And I bless him this morning. He is a great and mighty one. He carries the title of God with him. Wow. Then finally, he reveals the glory of God. Who does? God revealed his glory in Christ Jesus. Somebody wrote that song and said, the treasure of heaven has been revealed to us. And really that treasure was what was in God's heart and mind, the logos of God in the beginning. What am I going to do? It was God's heart and mind to incarnate in the earth and to show his glory. I said this, and, and, and I will repeat. I have placed my eternal destination my salvation, my hope entirely in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If he's wrong, I guess I'll just fall off into the abyss somewhere. But I know that he's right. And that's what I'm doing here this morning, preaching his word. If I didn't believe he was right, I wouldn't be up here. But I know, and the reason why I know is the imprint that he has left on me. It's not about exterior signs and wonders. Okay, yeah, I know God answered that. Wow, God's really great. I know what he has done for me. 
Paul said it this way. I'm trying to apprehend the one who apprehended me. In other words, the one that touched me, the one that put that sign, that indelible sign on my life that says Jesus was here, that one that left in me something that I didn't have on my own, that I couldn't serve on my own, that that in my own flesh, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't walk that way. I didn't need a reformation. I didn't need a new start. What I needed was an imprint of the power of Jesus Christ left in this old mortal body touching my soul and when that happened the glory of God was revealed in me can you say amen every one of us have felt that same exact thing the Lord's going to finish this discourse and I'm going to finish and everybody was like amen but it's not 12 o'clock yet I'm watching it close He finishes up, shuts the book with a question. If you don't believe Moses, how will you believe me? Because Moses wrote of me. We need a sign. What sign will you do? Remember they took him before Herod, Herod the king. Herod said, Show me a sign. No, I've already got a sign for you. It's what Moses said a long time ago. It's what the prophets said a long time ago. And if you don't believe them, why would you believe me? Now, let me talk to you about a sign in this age. If you don't believe John, who was an eyewitness... Who was there? He was there at the miracles. He was there at the signs and wonders. He was there at the inception of the ministry of Christ. He was there at the cross. And if you won't believe him, why would you believe me this morning? Well, I'm looking for a man of God, somebody who's going to really tell me, no, wait, time out here. I already got some men of God. One of them's named John. And if we don't believe him, how are we going to believe if we get some kind of a sign and a miracle? So I guess what I'm saying this morning that there isn't anything that can convince us of the reality of the revelation of Jesus Christ outside of him putting his hand in our life. I'd much rather have that than a sign and a wonder, wouldn't you? I'd much rather know, thank you, Jesus. I was lost and undone. Thank you, Jesus. I was going the wrong direction. Thank you, Lord. You picked me up out of the gutter. Somebody say amen. We've got people here this morning, and I'm not going to say, the apostle said, sometime you all were in this mess. And we have people that just their life was messed up. I mean, just going wrong. And the Lord Jesus Christ took them and put his sign upon their life and touched them in such a way they'll never again be the same. They'll never be down in the gutters of life again. They will always know that there is life in Jesus Christ. Somehow God transformed, takes a sinner, takes an old life, takes a ruined life, takes all that stuff that's in us, and somehow he puts his hand on us and leaves that sign and we know if nobody else knows we know that God has touched put his mark in our life signs are for centering our faith in Jesus Christ listen to this by grace are you saved through faith not by wonders by faith Pastor Ronnie's been preaching on Sunday nights about faith Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't even please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is. So our faith, listen, I'll close right here with, with Peter. Peter says this, Your faith may be found to praise and honor and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we preach about this morning. And then he goes on to say, In whom you love and you have not seen Him. 
How can you love somebody you haven't seen? Because he's put an imprint on your life. In whom not seen, yet believing. You exalt with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Somebody said, man, why are people getting excited? Why are they raising their hands? What is it? What makes tears come out of your eyes? Because we know something that you don't know. Because we know that God has laid his hand on our life. And by grace, we're being saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And so my hands go up and my tears, my eyes get cloudy. And I might take a little, little jog once in a while and a little leap once in a while. Because it's with unspeakable joy and full of glory that I know that you know that the sign of heaven has been put on you that Jesus is your Lord he's your Christ he's your Savior he's your hero he's here this morning to receive your glory can you say amen and then finally he says obtaining the end of your faith the salvation of your soul praise the Lord praise the Lord Say, well, you know, the Christian walk, would you come and play something this morning? The Christian walk, you know, it's kind of, man, you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff. Yeah. You're going to miss out. If you're walking for the Lord, you're going to miss out on, on a wrecked life, wrecked marriages, wrecked, wrecked stuff all around in your life and sorrows and regrets. The only thing I regret in my life since I've, been serving the Lord is that I didn't serve him earlier. Can you say amen? The only regret I have that I didn't give it all to Jesus earlier in my life. I would have avoided some of the, some of the mistakes in my life, some of the sorrows that, that now you look back and say, wow, I wish I'd never been there. I wish I hadn't gone done that. I wish I hadn't been around that person. I wish that things had never gone. That's the only regret I have. But since I've known Jesus Christ, there is no regret. There's only glory. And that's why it's full of glory this morning. It's joy unspeakable in Jesus Christ. I encourage you this morning to think about the Christ life and living the rest of your life in Jesus Christ. You deserve the glory. Lord, and you deserve the honor. So we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the
the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't forget tonight, we'll be back here at 6 o'clock. Praise the Lord. We've got that dinner afterwards. We want you to come be with us. Amen. Just give the Lord one final thank you. Hand clap of praise.